Okay, so here we are. We are uh, today going to talk a little bit about my guy, one of my, my favorite people in, in history, uh, Andrew Jackson. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just so happy that Mr. Grossman is in the room to listen to this. I know that, uh, that he's, a, he's a fan also. Um, <laughs> so this should be, this should be absolutely fantastic. So Andrew Jackson. Now, it would behoove you to really pay close attention to this. I'm going to share. I, so I hate Google Slides. Uh, I really, really do. I'm seeing more and more problems when I turn a PowerPoint into a Google Slide presentation. So this is a large one. So I was just editing it. So I'm going to share this with all of you uh, probably about 10, 15 minutes after this class is over, all right? Um, if you have any questions, please just uh, throw them up in the, in the stream there. Let's see if we've got anything so far. Nope, just a lot of excitement. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so it would really be good for you to really pay attention to this because you are going to be writing a DBQ on Andrew Jackson. Yes, yes, yes. So let's get right into it. All right, Andrew Jackson. So really, really, really important question. Andrew Jackson and his followers, people who would eventually come to be known as Jacksonian Democrats, they saw themselves as being the champion of the common man. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, okay? We spoke a little bit about um, Andrew Jackson's childhood, uh, that really he came from from just the, you know, an absolutely terrible situation. Uh, his father dying, being crushed by a tree while his mother was pregnant with him. You know, she gives birth to Andrew Jackson basically in the woods. Just a really, really, really tough start to life for him. Um, loses his mother, loses brother during the American Revolution, and he basically becomes an orphan, okay? Now, because of all that, because of his really, really tough childhood, once he gets into politics, they're going to tout him as being this common man and the champion of the common man. And basically, it's like, look what this young man was able to do to really start at the bottom and now he's here. <laughs> um, I actually, I was going to try and play that song as like an intro for this, but a lot of bad language. Uh, <laughs> Drake, silly guy, Canadians. Anyway, so is he the champion of the common man or once he ascends to the presidency, once he even becomes a general, um, does he kind of take on too much power for himself? Does he become abusive with his power. Think back to uh, AP World or Global 10 when you think about absolute monarchs. Now, in the United States, obviously, we had checks and balances, which was supposed to prevent that from happening. But we're going to look at a couple of instances where Jackson really kind of uh, pushed that to the limits. Okay, so what are the democratic trends in the 19th century? Okay, so as far as voting, you look at these two little maps here, all right, in the year 1800, all of these, I guess we'll call them turquoise states, uh, in order to be able to vote, okay, first off, women were not able to vote. Um, and then now in these turquoise states, you had to own property, okay? When it says property qualifications, what that means is that if you didn't own any land, you would not be able to cast a ballot. 
Now by 1830, look at how much that had changed. Instead, in some of these states, the gold states, it was universal white male suffrage, right? So in other words, any man who was white would be able to vote in 1830. In the, uh, I guess we call them salmon states, um, you had to be paying taxes, okay? All right, so, but still, what I want you to get from this is that it was becoming easier to vote. Slowly, it's a 30-year time period that goes by here, but it was becoming easier to vote. Okay, so does that translate, right? So does it translate from voting requirements being lessened to people voting? Let's see. Voter turnout from 1820 to 1860. So 1860 is going to be really one of the most pivotal uh, elections in the history of the United States. Uh, that is when Abraham Lincoln is elected. And then we have the subsequent secession of South Carolina, a few other states, and then the Civil War. Let's look at voter turnout, 1824. So 1824 is another really, really important election. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Look at this. Only 27% of people who were eligible to vote actually voted. Terrible, right? 27%. Now, you have to, you know, again, you want to be successful in an advanced class. You have to kind of ask yourself why, right? Why are only 27% of the people voting? We are... are Today <laughs> is actually the day where the uh, electors for the electoral, electoral college are casting their votes. So we're living in an election time, right, um, where I've never seen in my life uh, so much emphasis put on getting people to go out and vote. Come on and vote. Come on and vote. Uh, be it if you're watching a football game, you know, on the bottom right corner, the NFL votes. Uh, watching Ridiculousness. It was nonstop. Vote, 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 vote. Uh, so everywhere all about voting. Now, why would we have had not a lot of people voting in 1824? If uh, I could ask questions and you can answer, we could have a conversation, but it's not working that way right now. So I'll just tell you, I'll do exactly what they say not to do in education. <laughs> um, the reason why is because people just did not feel connection with many of the candidates. Okay. Remember the Federalists. Okay. A lot of people looked at the Federalists as being people who, you know, were very, very disconnected from what common people were going through. At this time, most people are farming, and the Federalists were certainly not representing uh, those who are farming. But look what happened. 1828, we're going to more than double our voter turnout. Okay, from 1824 to 1828, we are going to more than double. And then by the time we get all the way down to 1860, you have over 80% of the eligible population voting, which is uh, obviously it was a good thing. But let's just for our sake focus on this right here. What happens from 1824 to 1828? Okay, so how did campaigning happen back then, right? We do not have social media. We do not have television, internet, nothing at all like that. What would happen is basically it was known as campaigning on the stump, uh, especially out in what we'd call the wilderness, out in like Ohio, okay, western Pennsylvania. Candidates would go out there, there'd be a, a pre-designated uh, time, and they'd go out and they would basically let the people know, hey, I'm going to be here and I'm going to tell you what I'm all about as a candidate. And that's what they would do. They would basically tell them all of their ideas and everything that they um, 
what they basically stood for, their platform, if you will. Uh, again, listen, this is weird for me. I'm just looking at two different screens. And uh, so if you do have any questions, please, please, please feel free to interrupt. Just uh, throw a question question in there, okay? Unless I'm just, you know, covering the material so fully that you have none. <laughs> okay, so why increase democratization, right? Democratization, democracy, people getting out and voting. So why do we have this? Please don't pay any attention to those threes. Again, that's just what happens when you turn a PowerPoint into a Google slide sometimes. Uh, maybe Mr. Mason can probably tell me all the reasons why, but that's eh, another thing for another day. Okay, <laughs> why increase democratization? All right, white male suffrage increase. All right, sure, we know that. Party nominating committees, what does that mean? Okay, so... What you have happened, and we saw this happen about a year ago, for the Democratic Party, they had what's called primaries, all right? And for the primaries, they would have a bunch of candidates who would, one, would ascend to being the Democratic candidate for the presidency, right? That's what we just had, you know, a little over a year ago. So they have them go into, today, states which would be, you know, highly contested states. And they want to see who is it that the people are going to be more likely to vote for. So when you have almost like a pre-election, what does that do? It's basically giving people more of an opportunity to choose who they want. It's just another option, okay? Um, you know, think about it like uh, ice cream flavors, right? If the only ice cream flavors out there were chocolate vanilla and strawberry, eventually you might get tired of ice cream. But then if you've got, you know, a little bit of uh, tin roof sundae and uh, peanut butter ripple and uh, cookie dough, whatever, now all of a sudden it's like, ooh, I have more to choose from. It becomes more enticing. When you have more people to choose from, you might find somebody who is going to, uh, you feel like, oh, they represent me. It's like Mr. Grossman. You know, Mr. Grossman was telling me this year that he wasn't really going to vote. And then once he saw that Kanye was going, he's like, ah, Kanye 2020, baby, let's go. <laughs> All right. So voters uh, chose their state's slate of presidential electors. Okay, cool. Spoils system. All right. What is the spoils system? Spoils system is going to um, become basically in intertwined with... Andrew Jackson and his legacy, unfortunately. Spoil system was basically where you would be able to, uh, if you helped somebody run for election, you might be able to reap the benefits of them getting elected. Uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, my friend Anthony Portizi, he was running for Town of Brookhaven Highway Superintendent uh, a year ago. He ran about three years ago and then he ran again last year. Lost both times. You know, that happens. Um, I was actually helping him. I was campaigning for him. I was down in the uh, Mauritius uh, Street Fair and uh, handing out, you know, flyers and talking to people about him and stuff like that. And I told him, I said, hey, man, <laughs> you know, you get elected. I am going to have the smoothest street <laughs> in Brookhaven, right? Right, though? Right. And that's kind of really just like um, an oversimplification of how the spoil system works, okay? If you work for somebody, you help them to get elected, you're going to get some kind of a kickback, all right? Any questions? Okay, seems not. Uh, rise of third parties, again, you know, the more 
options that you have, the more people are going to be likely to want to go out and uh, vote. They're going to hopefully be able to find someone that they can uh, identify with. All right. Uh, popular campaigning. We have parades, rallies, floats. Uh, this is why, you know, the movie Amistad, I love showing it because there's just so much in that movie that rings true with this. Um, the name of the president in that movie was actually, so that movie takes place just after Jackson's presidency. But slavery is an issue all throughout the colonial era up until the 1860s and even beyond. When we see Martin Van Buren, right, they call him a polecat. Polecat meaning he's a guy who is always just concerned with getting elected. Polecat, going to the polls, doing whatever he could, kissing babies, doing this. And when they show him right at the beginning of the movie, right, that's exactly what he's doing. He's kissing babies, shaking hands, drinking his brandy, right, not wanting to be bothered with anything else. He's like, ah, this is such a tough day going out there and talking to the people. But that's what he was about, and that's what a lot of the politicians were about, okay? Getting out there, but from, from the people's perspective, they were getting out there. And they were like, it's like, wow, they're just like us. They're here. They're walking amongst us. They're shaking our hands. Okay. Um, you know, look, whether you, you love them, you hate them or anything in between, uh, Donald Trump did a lot of that, right? And people, you know, didn't like maybe that he had too many people all together and everything. But he was just in one place after another after another in the days leading up to the election. Okay. That's campaigning. That's having your rallies. Okay. All right. Two-party system return in 1832 election, okay? So we, we have for a little while, we're going to have the era of good feelings where there's really only one party, and then we're going to get back to the two-party system. The Democratic-Republicans, right? Who created them? I'm sure somebody in the class right now just said Thomas Jefferson. Right, right, good job. Okay, Democratic-Republicans will then become known as the National Republicans. There's going to be another group called the Whigs that will be enveloped by them. Uh, another few groups, uh, one such are called the Free Soilers. Uh, they're all going to be enveloped and they're going to be known as the Republicans. So again, um, we talked about this when we were talking about slavery and the Southern Democrats, right? How the Southern Democrats were always um, on the side of slavery, trying to protect slavery. So you say, well, Democrats, are Democrats, is that who we think of as our Democrats today? No, look, right here is a perfect example. Democratic Republicans, and then that they become known as Republicans. So as time goes on, some of these groups do change. And with the Democrats, we're going to see that change in the 60s, but we'll get there eventually. Okay, and then we have just another group called the Democrats. Fantastic. All right, Jackson's early life. I don't want to harp on this too much because we already have talked about this, um, but you know, we know what happened to him. We know when he was captured in the ship, uh, he saw his brother get beaten to death. Um, we know that his mom dies from the, uh, while she is working as a triage nurse during the American Revolution. Really, really, the guy just has such a really, really tough uh, childhood and upbringing. And it makes him hate the British, right? He's going to absolutely hate the British. And then when the War of 1812 introduces the Native Americans as being the British allies in that war, he is going to look at them and hate them also. Um, from everything I've ever read about Andrew Jackson, everything to him, the way that he perceived life, people, uh, 
it was black and white. No gray area. It was, okay, you're with the British, you are my enemy, I must destroy you. Okay, or you're on my side. And that was it. There was no in-between. It was either you were 100% with him, or you were 100% his enemy. Okay? All right. Uh, his first residence. So, <laughs> I took a class. Oh, man. One of the worst classes I ever took at Stony Brook. It was uh, the history of colonial dress. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and I had to write a really, really long paper on it. Um, we spent three hours in that class. One day. We met weekly. One day. Three hours. Looking at homes, <laughs> colonial homes, and how you could tell if colonial homes represented wealth or poverty. So this here, I, this is a drawing of what is supposed to be Jackson's first home. Okay, now can I verify it? I don't, I don't know. Right, you look at ooh, two stories. That's great. No, this would actually be the home of somebody who was pretty poor at the time. The reason being. See this right here? I, don't know, I hope you can see me moving my mouse here. The chimney is all on one side of the home, right? Mr. Braun, what are you, losing it, man? You've been sitting in your house too long. What does that matter? Ah, it matters. Because back then they didn't have baseboard heating, okay? Oil heat, things like that. The heat came from the fire, from the fireplace, the chimney. A good home, one that represented some bit of wealth, would have the chimney in the middle so that you'd be able to heat more of the home. The problem that you have here, yeah, sure, it would keep people warm on this side over here, but then the rest of the house would stay cool. Look, <laughs> I'm just passing on to you the information that I was taught, which is supposed to make me a better teacher. Anyway, he's poor growing up. There we go. Okay, the first known painting of Jackson, 1815. Okay, this is after his huge victory. Where? Yes, I'm sure Vladimir Konstantinov just said the Battle of New Orleans. That's right. Where while only losing 21 men, they are able to uh, kill over 2,000 British while defending the port of New Orleans from the British in a battle that actually took place after the War of 1812 had ended. Pretty interesting stuff. It is after that 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 is when he really starts to get some more notoriety. Okay. Um, Paintings, we talked about this with Columbus. Paintings were only done of people who were important, all right? Wealthy people, important people. Um, back at this time, you could really advance yourself in life through the military. And that is exactly what Andrew Jackson does, all right? As evidenced here, okay? Uh, during the Seminole Wars, uh, Wars is covered by him here, but uh, here he is, okay? You know, all of a sudden he gets really old. It's kind of bizarre. His first presidential run, okay? So he is, once again, the common man's presidential candidate, okay? There are going to be a few, a few candidates who are running for presidency in 1824, Probably the most notable is going to be John Quincy Adams, okay? John Quincy Adams, on paper, is the opposite of Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, representing the common man, Andrew Jackson comes from, again, an impoverished upbringing. And John Quincy Adams, obviously the son of John Adams, right, a lawyer. John Quincy Adams becomes a trial lawyer himself, um, you know, 
really, uh, the terminology is that he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, okay? Very, very wealthy, coming from the Northeast, okay? Total, total opposite to Jackson. And then we have another, a few other people who are sprinkled in here. Henry Clay, probably one of the best minds in the United States to ever not become president. Um, John C. Calhoun, there's that guy again, uh, right? He becomes the voice of the South. Uh, he will become the vice president uh, to John Quincy Adams. He will become the uh, secretary of war, senator for South Carolina, and a leader in Southern secession. So these are our candidates. Now, the election of 1824 is known as a corrupt bargain. Corrupt bargain. Why? Let's see what happens here, right? Here is our results. John Quincy Adams gets 84 electoral votes. He gets 108,000 popular votes. Andrew Jackson, 99 electoral votes, 150,000 Popular votes, okay? Then we have Clay, Crawford, doesn't really matter. And <laughs> interestingly enough, Calhoun's not even on here. Now, John Quincy Adams has neither more electoral votes nor more votes from the people. Andrew Jackson has both of those. And yet Jackson will not become the president in 1824. You say, whoa. How could that possibly be, right? Imagine if, <laughs> imagine if this, this was Trump. Uh, everybody would be getting sued. <laughs> you get a lawsuit. You get a lawsuit. You get a lawsuit. Uh, Andrew Jackson, though, he's going to take this a little bit differently. Instead, he's going to uh, go all around the country and telling everybody how he was robbed. Man, after my own heart. Uh, <laughs> so what happens here? They say, well, you do not have a majority over 50% of the electoral votes because of the four candidates who were receiving electoral votes. Therefore, how is it going to be decided? You guys should remember, hopefully, uh, from what happened with the election of 1800, who do we decide if it's not, if it cannot be decided in the election? That's right. That's right, Chloe Bloom. It comes from... Yeah, from the House of Representatives. Okay, so in the House, it is decided, it is decided, I'll say it again, it is decided in the House that John Quincy Adams would become the president. Andrew Jackson would not become the president. He would not become the vice president. He would get nothing. Okay, um, and so how does this come about? Well, this is why it's called a corrupt bargain. Corruption. They did not want him in there. They did not trust him. Um, really dating back to the way that he handled the Florida situation. Okay, how do you handle the Florida situation? He was told to monitor the border, remember, between Georgia and Florida. Florida at the time belonging to Spain. And he just decides, he writes the letter to James Monroe. And he's like, hey, 60 days, Florida is going to belong to us. He wasn't told to do it. He just went and did it. So they realized that he was, um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a crazy man. And they thought that he'd be really impossible to control. And so they did not want him attached to government. Really? I mean, the correlations with Trump are, uh, it, it doesn't end. Okay. So let's talk about John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams becomes the president, right? So what are some opponents or thoughts of John Quincy Adams? Or what's the opposition to him? Okay. It says, some believed he allowed too much political control to be held by elites, all right? Of course, 
He's coming in again. He is the son of John Adams, the second president of the United States, um, one of the founding fathers. And while John Quincy Adams does a really pretty good job as the president, he's never really given much of an opportunity. He's also kind of like a grumpy man, very, very similar to his father. Uh, he didn't really um, take the time to work with his political opponents and his adversaries. Instead, he would just kind of shut them out, uh, which in politics is usually not going to work out too well. It says some objected to his support of uh, national economic development on constitutional grounds. Okay, so what was his uh, economic development that he wanted? Well, he believed that what we had to have was a strong, active central government, okay? Just like his dad, just like his pops. He's a federalist. He believes that the federal government needs to be the most powerful government, okay? So he wants to have a national university. Very, very, very much so believed in education. If he would have had this come true, the way this would have worked is, while some of you right now might be looking at different colleges, different universities throughout the country, you know, maybe you're looking at a, a University of California at Berkeley. Maybe you're looking at um, Miami of Ohio. Maybe you're looking at Florida, you know, university, wherever. Instead, it would be the American University at Stony Brook, American University at Berkeley, California, American University at Tallahassee, Florida. So it would be a national university with all of these uh, little branches all throughout the country. Pretty interesting. Never happened. Um, he also wanted to have an astronomical observatory. He very, very much so believed in studying the stars. It's, it's weird. But uh, it's not weird, but uh, some social studies teachers have been talking a lot about aliens lately. Strange what people think. Strange. Uh, and, of course, Naval Academy. His father is responsible for creating the Navy. Oh, Texas. I guess I bored you. I, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, very much wanted to have a Naval Academy. Oops, went a little too far there. Okay. Many Americans saw his vision of a mighty nation led by a strong president as a threat to individual liberties. Okay. Look. When you have this guy come in and he becomes the president, even though he was not elected by the Electoral College or by the people, and then he comes in and he wants to have a stronger, more powerful central government, of course his opponents are going to say this, right? It just makes sense. He wasn't elected president. He was established to become the president. So very, very different. And, you know, he, again, never really took the time to... Uh, speak to the people who were who had these concerns about him. Okay, key issues in 1828. What are they? Big thing is what would be known as the tariff of abomination. So, what is a tariff? Yes, very good, Hannah. It is a tax on imported goods. So, the tariff of abomination. Now, I put this little chart on here because this is basically how it works, right? We have 1828 tariff debate. 1828 tariff debate. Ah, fantastic. Uh, northern perspective, right? Foreign goods are going to be made more expensive. That's right. We want a tariff encourages people to purchase things that are made in the United States, domestic products, as opposed to foreign products. So what happens? Foreign products become more expensive. So people are going to buy more American goods. Where are the American goods being created for the most part? in the Northeast, right? We just talked about this on Friday, okay? They're being created in the Northeast. 
created from the textiles and the raw materials coming from the South. So this all, this tariff will benefit the North, Northern industry, but it does not benefit and it actually will hurt the South a little bit. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Okay, tariff battles, here we go. Tariff of 1816, okay, it was uh, put on cheap textiles, raw materials. Tariff of 1824 was put on iron goods, more expensive woolen, cotton imports. The Tariff of 1828, higher tariffs on imported raw materials, wool, hemp, things like that. So, supported by the Jacksonians, right? Why? Because they wanted to gain votes from the different farmers, New York, Ohio, Kentucky, fine. The South is adamantly against it, okay? Why? Because they are the producers of the world's cheapest cotton, all right? They did not need to have this protective tariff. At this time, you were getting cotton from either Egypt or the southern United States, and our cotton was way cheaper. So the tariff doesn't help. It does not help them, okay? Instead, it helps the North. So remember on Friday, we were talking about how the North would exponentially make more and more and more money than the South, okay? This tariff is only going to add to that gap between the wealth of the North and the wealth of the South. Votes in the House for the tariff, okay? You can see, right, the beginnings of a difference here between the North, right, who are all in favor of the tariff, and the South. So, again, look, you know, it's a very elementary idea to say the Civil War happens because of slavery. It's not just slavery. There are so many economic issues, tariffs being one of them. Okay, if you are going to have to write an essay where you talk about the causes of the Civil War and you mention something like this, that is going to get the person who is reading your essay, you know, their eyebrows are going to go, whoa, whoa, look at this kid. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're moving from a two to three range up into that three, four or five range. Okay, because that really does show understanding at a higher level. Again, I'll say it again. If we're talking about the causes of the Civil War, because you can see here all this purple down south, right? Opposed to the tariff. Up here, there's a whole lot of green in favor of it. The beginnings of this differentiation between the North and the South, okay? It's not just about slavery. It's about a lot of different economic policies, one of which being tariffs, okay? All right. Land, Indian policies, John Quincy Adams. His land policies gave Westerners another reason to dislike him. <laughs> He's just making everybody happy. Another reason why people didn't like him, the guy would go skinny dipping in the Potomac. Oh, jeez, you know, he looks like Uncle Fester. Nobody wants that. Anyway, yeah, he attempted to curb speculation for public lands, right? So he was curbing speculation. What does that mean? He was trying to stop, stop people from being able to make money off of this land. Uh, his opponents accused him of denying their individual rights and freedoms to expand westward. You know, 18, late 1820s into the 1830s is when we start to have this manifest destiny fever begin to sweep across the country. He was against it. Not a good place to be if you're going to be a successful politician at the time. He supported the land rights of Native Americans against white settlers. So... You know, we look back and we say, you know, we look at like the Trail of Tears and things like that. 
and we say, wow, you know, Andrew Jackson is a terrible person uh, because of the atrocities against Native Americans and things like that. And yes, of course, absolutely. Uh, there were so many violations of human rights. At this time, though, 200 years ago, people looked at Native Americans as encroaching on American land. Okay? You have to try to think about it from that, from the perspective of people in that time. The United States had purchased Louisiana territory. Okay? It therefore belongs to the United States and the United States citizens. So they said Native Americans have to either pay taxes or get out. And uh, he was supporting the Native Americans here instead of supporting westward expansion. Okay. 1828 election. Jackson's campaign engineered by Martin Van Buren. Of course. Of course. Because he's really, really good at shaking hands and kissing babies. He wanted to recreate the old Jeffersonian coalition. Okay. He, he lauded Thomas Jefferson. Northern farmers. Okay. So once it's farmers. Southern slave owners. Again, large plantation owners. Okay. Farmers with small land holdings. Okay. So large plantation owners. Sure but also your common man people, farmers, right? Regular farmers. He created the Democratic Party from the remains of Jefferson's old party, created a national committee that oversaw local and state party units, and we have a lot of political mudslinging on both sides. Okay, this is where it gets really, really ugly. Rachel Jackson. Rachel Jackson marries Andrew Jackson in like 18, uh, I'm sorry, 1791, I want to say. Uh, might be somewhere around there. She was with a man who was very, very abusive to her. By all accounts, basically, Andrew Jackson goes in and like saves her from this terrible situation. However, when they get married, her divorce was probably not official, okay? Um, records from over 200 years ago are very, very hard to verify, but it probably was not official. So, Jackson's opponents call her a floozy <laughs> and uh, basically, you know, I don't know, whatever would rhyme with a sore, sore or something like that. I, I, I can't say it. I don't know. But they, they really are just mudslinging and it's all aimed at her to try to say, look at Andrew Jackson is not an upstanding man. This is not the kind of guy we want to look at as an example in our country. It is so bad. She feels so overwhelmed that now he, he lost in 1824 because the election was stolen from him. And she thinks now he's going to lose again because of her. Look here. Right? Remembering Rachel Jackson, 1767, 1828. What happens? Right on the dawn of the election, she dies. Okay? She dies. And Andrew Jackson says that it was all because of the way that people were talking about her. He goes into Congress, all right? This is after now, he, he will win the election of 1828, obviously. He goes into Congress, and these are just a couple of quotes that he says. He says, may God forgive her enemies. I know I never will. And he like takes this long pause as he looks at the room in Congress. People who he knew were his opponents were saying these things about her. Uh, he says, a being so gentle and so virtuous, slander might wound but could not dishonor. He loved his wife so much. He was wounded in several um, duels, like gunfight duels, while defending her honor. Um, really, just like a, a 
horrible, horrible story that his wife dies right before he becomes president. But this is what happened. All right. We're going to stop here. Okay. Uh, it's a whole lot of information. Um, and we're going to uh, continue this tomorrow. Tomorrow we will look at his actual presidency. Okay. Anybody have uh, any questions at all? I, maybe like everybody has left the room. I don't even know. <laughs> what was the other part with the land and Indian policies other than he was supporting the natives? Say that again? He was supporting the Native Americans' land rights, but what else was he doing? Oh, you're talking about John Quincy Adams? Yeah. Um, what do you mean, what else was he doing? Like, how was he supporting them? Yeah. He So he basically was trying to not allow Westerners to continue to move out West. All right. Uh, that sounds terrible. He was trying to not allow people to move out West and set up like new towns and things until there was an answer for what we were going to do with Native Americans. Who's that, Mason? Good question, man. All right. I do believe the bell is going to ring. So I'm going to stop. And uh, hey, great job, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll uh, I'll talk to you all uh, tomorrow. All right. Hope you have a great day. Okay. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Even though it's actually in the afternoon. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> have fun walking in the hallway, hallway walker. <laughs> oh yes, it must be time for a podcast. Yes. 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 Oh man. Un- <laughs> Unfortunately, the people online they didn't they didn't hear any of that. They probably they just see this. <laughs> um. But <laughs> it's what I it's what I had to. Do. I I um, I'm sorry. Otherwise, it would all feed back, and that's not cool. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to record a podcast. We'll do it with eighth period APS. How are you doing, eighth period APS history? I'm so damn fantastic, actually. Yeah, I'm actually happy to be back. I'm not going to lie. I like routine. I like routine. I like routine. And you know what I realized? This is insane. I realized that from October 6th till today, I've only actually come into work 24 days. 24 days in three months because baby born, then I got quarantines, and then vacations and stuff. Isn't that crazy, though? 24 days. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, it blew my mind. But anyway, uh, so Manifest Destiny. Okay, I did not share these notes with you yet, uh, but I will like around 2 o'clock, okay? So it's just a note. You guys have the, uh, the homework to work on and stuff like that, and that'll be that, okay? Good. All right, so Manifest Destiny is actually, honestly, and I am not lying to you, uh, it is one of my more favorite uh, topics to talk about, and the reason for that is because, yeah, see, there's no sound. The sound should be good now. Uh, the reason why I love Manifest Destiny is because I like the whole idea of like people taking a challenge, just like going for it. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about how like it really comes with this whole idea of like adventure and romance and, and stuff like that. I just think it's kind of kind of nifty. Uh, if you look at this map here, okay, it shows like the growth of the United States and how quickly it happened. It really is just an amazing, amazing thing. 
that we start off in 1783, okay, as just this green area, okay? And then we start to spread out. Then we get the Louisiana Territory. And then in the 1830s, it's going to say 1845, but it's actually 1839 that we're going to get Texas and then all the Mexican session over here. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today and then tomorrow. Do you, do you ever hear of a president named Polk? President Polk? No. No, if you ever did, it would probably be because of, uh, there was like a James Polk High in like Simpsons or something. That was like the school they went to or something like that. But uh, James K. Polk, right, you don't hear of him. But he is the president who is responsible for the annexation of Texas. So the largest state really besides Alaska, which who cares? In the United States. And then all of this, like he actually accomplished the whole manifest destiny thing. So, but we don't hear about him. You know why? Because he's probably one of the worst people ever to be president. Uh, in fact, he was hated so much that a newspaper in Boston, when he dies, it, it, the, like the headline of the death of the president, right? Now you think like a lot of people don't like President Trump. It said, may James K. Polk rot forever and eternity and hopefully evil will follow him because that's what started where what he started with it's like oh my god a newspaper is saying that about a president what did he do well that's what we're going to talk about um good 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 stuff first and foremost let's get into um why all of this is happening so uh i so over the break i got into a new tv show uh, i got into a show called comedians in cars getting coffee with uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Oh my, that's so weird. We Why? Me, Tom, and Adam were all playing trivia, Trivial Pursuit. Yeah. From the 2000s. Yeah. And that was one of the questions I never heard of before. You never heard of it? No, and now you just have so weird. So for a little while, it was actually like the most popular show on Netflix. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But what he does is he goes, Jerry Seinfeld, and he picks up some person, a comedian mostly, and he picks them up in, in like a car that he thinks represents them. And it's usually like some kind of fancy car. And then he, uh, they go and they get coffee. But each episode, and they just talk. And each episode is like 13 minutes, 15 minutes. They're really short. Um, so I got into it. I was watching it. I watched one with him and Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, whatever. Oh Crazy man, right? Yeah. I love that guy. love that guy. <laughs> but uh, so like they go, they, they went out together. They got their coffee. And they were talking about movies and like pretentious words. So they said, all right, there are three ways, three words for movies, right? You got movies, film, picture. Which one is the most pretentious? No. Pretentious means where you're like, oh, yes, that's how I like to talk. <laughs> film? So what they said was picture. I, I, would, I would go with picture. I could see film, too. But like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to see, I saw a marvelous picture last night. Let me tell you what it was all about, you know? I went and saw a movie, right? But anyway, the reason why I'm saying that is the word up here, antebellum, Okay, trends in antebellum America. Antebellum, have you ever heard that word? I've heard that word. Oh, really? Have you? Yeah. What does it mean? I'm not doing my brother knows though because he's a history geek. He knows. Oh, history geek. That's what you call us? No, 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 no. History geeks? History geeks, huh? No, 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 no. Does he have a podcast too? Does he have a podcast too? Oh, buff. Yeah, buff and geek. So close. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness gracious. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just messing with you. But yeah, so like <laughs> what antebellum means. You don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> You'd be like, 
Well, it, before my sixth period class, somebody's grandma was like, she kept on saying, so my grandma just said this. My grandma, I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> I really have to watch what I say because I don't know who, who's listening. But anyway, what antebellum means really simply is just a time before the Civil War. Here I have it as 1810 to 1860. Some people might say 1820. I don't care about them. They're not history geeks, so they don't get, they don't get a word in it. Same thing. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but so here's what we have. These are the new things that were happening in this time period. Now, do you all remember that we were referred to as like the ugly duckling, right? The United States is the ugly duckling because we were giving people rights and liberties and you know, you're allowed to voice your opinions and things like that. So they, that starts to like expand, okay? And they start to say, hey, you know what? Let's expand this to religion. Because for a very, 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 very long time, religion was like dark. And it was, you know, you'd go to church, the priest or the minister would read from the Bible and be like, okay, let's read from, you know, Leviticus chapter 13, verse four. And basically it means that we're all sinners and we're all going to go to hell. And let's read this one. And you're all sinners and you're all going to go to hell. And after a while, people were like, this is terrible. Like, religion, how, how, does this, how is this what God really is? And so they started to say, look at science and nature, right? If you observe science, nature, and things like that, you'll see all this beautiful stuff. So if God created us, again, for religion, if God created us, then why would he just want miserable existences? There must be something better. There must be something for after people die, whatever. And so they, came, they started to change religion. Do any of you remember what that was called? It was a movement. Yeah. Great job. Transcendentalism is one of those religious movements. All part of what we call the Great Awakening. Great Awakening. And then there's the second Great Awakening. Yeah, yeah. It was in your chapter 15 work that you did that homework on. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah. So that was like one of the religious movements, right? Intellectual movements. We also have social reforms. They start to say, hey, you know what? Kids... Kids should go to school and learn. And that becomes a whole movement started by a guy named Webster. And you know what he made? Dictionary and textbooks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That's why his name was Webster's Dictionary. Yeah, look at that. What's that? Why is it like Miriam Webster? Because I guess like Miriam, well, Webster, he's been dead for a really long time. Maybe Miriam, whoever that is, uh, like updated it with new words, you know? Like YOLO and things like that. <laughs> Acronyms, if you will. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of social reforms like, like schools. Uh, also, alcoholism was a big problem. So before we had prohibition, it was the temperance movement. They're like, we have to temper people's alcohol consumption and things like that. Whatever. All, reason, all things that were happening in the U.S. over this 50-year or so period. We have the Industrial Revolution, which begins okay, in the United States. Uh, then we have a new political party that starts to form. For a long time, it was really just the Democrats. Then there's this new group called the Whigs. The Whigs, okay? They're going to come and go real quick. And then they're going to become part of this other group called the Free Soilers and a few others. They're going to all come together and be known as the Republican Party. But what is the good thing about that? More of an option, right? It's like, you don't have, oh, I don't like them. Okay, well, then maybe you'll like them. And so more options for people. Uh, an increase in federal power. Every time the Supreme Court under uh, John Marshall was making a decision, it was like the federal government became more and more powerful, which is funny, right? It's like, hey, we're going to give the people more say, more justice, more freedom. 
But the federal government's also going to be really, really powerful. Yeah. I'm not sure. I believe he was about 78 when he when he passed away, but I'm not. I have to look that up. To be fair, that's a fair question, Mr. Davis. Yeah, he's like everything. Like he's been in like two chapters Yeah, no, he's he he is a very prominent person from uh, 1803 basically until 1830s. So yeah, no, you're not. You're definitely not wrong. Uh, we have an increase in American nationalism following the War of 1812, which is why I would say it starts in 1810, not 1820. And we're going to have westward expansion. So let's talk about Manifest Destiny. This is a name that you should know. Should definitely take note of it. I would, you know, if you guys were writing down notes, like usually for this, I'd have a note packet, like star this, underline it, highlight it. John O. Sullivan. The reason why, there are so many opportunities to talk about him in American history. So if you're writing an essay or something like that, expansion is going to be one of the main things that is going to lead to the civil war. Okay. Cause every time we expand, we add a new state and every time a new state is added, what's the issue? Slavery, slavery right? Will slavery be allowed in this state? Okay. So he write. who is this guy? John O'Sullivan. Is he some, no, he's no, he's a newspaper writer and then a newspaper editor. And he basically says that we have this manifest destiny, right? Basically, it has been proven to us that we have the God-given, God-ordained right to take over, as he says, the development of our continent, okay, with federal tip power, with liberty for everybody, and that we're just going to make it all grow. It's going to be amazing. And from this, we have this myth of the West. It's a land of romance and adventure. And so, like, me personally... I always found this stuff to be so fascinating. I don't know why. And then uh, when I finally, I, I think I told you guys, like I've been very, very lucky in my life, especially over the past 10 years or so, and traveling around and going here and there. And like, if I had an option, if I didn't have this totally amazing, amazing job as a social studies teacher at Longwood High School, I would move the heck out of here so fast, so fast. And I'd probably go to Colorado or Montana or Wyoming because it's so beautiful there. It's like amazing. It's a whole different world. People have different ideas and stuff. And for me, whatever reason, I've always just like wanted to like go out west. I don't know why. Right. But you ever feel like that? Like you're just yeah. like, I want to know about this place. It's like, huh. Okay. Fantastic. So. Go to Go to Wyoming. 440,000 people in a huge area. That's the whole state's population. Yeah. It's the smallest population of a state in the country. And it's a large state. Huh? Wyoming, I think it's just like a random state. It is. A quarter of the state, the whole northwest corner, is made up of two national parks. Grand Teton in the southern area, and then Yellowstone is the rest of it with the geysers and all that stuff. Because it's all, it's like just like some amazing, amazing natural stuff. All right. Moving on. Seattle. Yes, yeah. You know, Washington State is one place I've not been able to go. Uh, these are paintings that are made of the time. Okay, so here you have the American progress. Here you have this woman all in white, white being like purity, right? And she is heading out west, looking to the west, floating, flying, if you will, uh, out west. What does she bring with her? Trains, right? All American innovations, things like the telegraph wire, which she actually has wrapped around her arm. And then where is she moving to? Where there are natives, Back then, they called them savages. You know, it's pretty funny. I watched a movie from the 90s. Uh, I don't know. 
Well, I'm going to get to this in a little bit, but my wife, I guess, just decided that I was home so she could leave all the time. And so like every day I'd be like, oh, so what store? Where are you going shopping today? Like she's like, uh, I'm going to go. I'll be back in a couple hours. And she'd be like, be shopping all the time, all the time. Like, oh, okay, I'll stay home and take care of the baby. No big deal. No big deal. Anyway, I was watching a movie, a uh, baseball movie, Major League Two. It's like from 1994. And it's so crazy now how like, you know, to say like the Washington Redskins, they changed their name to the Washington football team. Very original. And like the things that they were saying in that about like the Indians, because it's a movie all about the Cleveland Indians. They're calling like Indians and savages and stuff like that. I was like, I was like, yeah. I was like wow, that's, that's crazy. Like the, the original like animated Peter, Peter Pan movies. I used oh. to watch them when I was little all the time. Absolutely, yeah, when he goes and he meets them. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. It's, uh, it, it's crazy how, like, things, things change. But you look at this. Like, the movie was super offensive to somebody who lives, like, in our generation, you know? I, would ne- I was so ignorant when I was little that I would never know. Well, and that's a good point. So, like, if you go back to the other, to the earlier, like, intellectually, we're always developing intellectual. That's the whole idea. That's the goal. I realize I... I, I, I over the break, I realized that I had only come to work 24 days in three months. I also realized this is my 20th year in Longwood High School. I have legitimately spent half my life in this school. And I didn't really know how to take that. But in that time, I've seen there's been such a change. Way back, seriously, like I went here in 96, 97, 98. There, there was so much racial tension in our school like in the one commons would be only where white kids were and the other commons was only where black kids were and you say that's crazy on long island but yeah that's the way that it was over by the north entrance there's an area where you had all the skinheads and they hung out there every morning and they would be there with their jeans and their boots and their t-shirts and skinny suspenders and stuff like that and they fought a lot a lot um i don't know i don't i don't want to say something stupid especially since i'm recording this now but you you know White supremacist kind of groups, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But like very, very, very out in the open. And we, I remember, I remember specifically because I was friends with the girl. We had one interracial like couple. It was a black boy and a white girl. And like nobody really bothered them. But people would like talk about them constantly, like constantly. Like that's not right. Uh, I can't believe why, why they do that. Uh, uh. It's like here. It was here. But 20 years ago. It's just a good thing, right? Again, intellectual, social, innovation, uh, movement where you go forward and forward. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. But that's, that's, this is what they were thinking then, that they were going to bring all these changes. Here, what is the predominant picture in the Oregon Trail one? The sunset? The, the, the sun, like, shining light on all the, all the progress. Sure. It's gold. Gold. It's a golden sunset. Why? What, what did they start to find out west? Gold, right. The California gold rush, right? 1849. So this is years later, 1869, 20 years later. But this is about Oregon. Because in Oregon, you're going to have the Oregon Trail. Uh, my, first, my first video game that I loved, I would beg my mom to bring me to the library where they had a computer. I'd play the Oregon Trail, which you don't even know about, but that's okay. Okay. Here you can see some of the trails, all right? Really, really exciting stuff. There they go, there they go. Most of the trails, some go up to Oregon, most of them ending in San Francisco. That was the heart of the California gold rush. Now, let me go back for a second. You look at all this, there's nothing here. There are no towns, there are no railroads yet, okay, nothing. 
So everything kind of stops in St. Louis, Missouri, right around here, okay? So how do you get information from here to these new areas out in Oregon and San Francisco? They created something called the Pony Express. And I always think that this is like fascinating. Um, it, no, it lasted for, it, was, it went on for about 14 years. Yeah. And I love this, like, the poster of how they were trying to attract people to it. Uh, it says, wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders, willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, all right, orphans preferred. Why? Why do you think that that's what they were actually asking for? Dead. Yes, people with less attachments. You're, you're absolutely right. Look, there were, there were so many unmapped areas, right? Um, if you ever do head out west, if you're ever there, there are caverns, ravines, uh, mountains, all these kinds of things. Plus, at the time, you had Native Americans. You had Mexico was still in the area. So it was a lot of people. There was a lot of danger. Animals, sure, getting attacked by animals, no doubt. Yeah, well, so yes... The $25 a week was tremendous back then. That, would, that wage per year would be worth about $90,000 today. So, you know, risking your life and stuff like that, yeah. But for some of them, it was the best uh, opportunity that they were going to have. Okay, Texas Independence. You can see it's 1836 to 1845. Why does it take so long for Texas to gain their independence? Let us see. Well, the war is actually going to come a little bit later. And the war for just Mexico, Mexico trying to reclaim Texas is actually really, really brief. Uh, here's what happens. In all this area, okay, that is in uh, what we'd call the Louisiana Purchase, you could get land there for five cents an acre. Tremendous. Fantastic. Amazing. In Texas, you can get land for two cents an acre. It's even better. So you can get two and a half times the amount of land in Texas that you would be getting otherwise. So what are people going to do? Right, buy the land from Texas. So we started moving there. Americans are buying the land. I always find this to be fascinating. What does Mexico do? Their response is they outlawed American immigration. Okay, they said, we don't want Americans in our country. Four years ago, we had our president, right? President Trump, and what was the main part of his platform? He's going to build a... Wall, yeah. And they did, really. They really did. Or at least they fortified it better than it was. Um, you know, he's like, and Mexico's going to pay for it. But I, I don't think that that happened. We probably paid for it. But, uh, <laughs> of course, of course. Mexico had outlawed immigration. They said, Americans are trouble. They're like, everywhere you go, you start taking over. Now, I don't really speak too much. Anybody in here speak Spanish? Anybody? No? no. Really? I mean, uh, hablo espanol un poquito, a little bit. But I do know this. In American English, no is no, right? And I know in Spanish, you say it, no. It's a little bit more zest. You got you to like, move, like, you got to have a gesture as a no, no. Uh, because you know why in American, in America, you know what, what, what word we don't understand? Really, no. Somebody tells you no, what's your, first, what's your immediate reaction? Why? Can I, uh, can I do the, no, why, what, do you, what, 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 the answer is yes, but it really is, look, look what happens, so they tell us, no, we don't want you here, okay, by 1835, there were 30,000 Americans who were there anyway, 30,000, which was a high number back then, really high, so, 
we were absolutely not, not listening. Now, here's another thing that I love about this, and you might find this interesting. You may not. You know, you talk about offensive movies or things like that. I personally think the whole Redskin thing is dumb. Did I, ta- did I tell you about where the Redskin actually comes from? Maybe not. Okay, so Christopher Columbus, way back, he, uh, when, he, when he was like coming in and came into the new world and found all these people, he tried to categorize them by different ways that they looked and stuff like that. There's one group that he saw and they would bind their calves from below their knee and then their ankles. And whichever men had like the biggest calf muscles, those were like the guys, right? So he called them the Italian word for calves. And all of the names were in Italian or Spanish. He comes across a group of people, Taino, and what they would do, they were basically naked. They took this red dye, mixed it with some oil, and they put it all over their body to be like suntan lotion. Now, they were living in the Dominican Republic in Haiti today, and so it's freaking hot, right? So they're like, yeah, like, let's, uh, so that was what they used, that was their suntan lotion, but he had never seen it, so he called them the red skins, and that's really where the terminology comes from. So I think that, you know, all red skin, uh, it's like, all right, here, now here, Texas flag is a different story. I'll get you one second. Texas, here it is, okay? Now, Texas, the Texans, they view themselves as like, as they start to like become a mix of Americans and Mexicans, they thought they were better than both groups, okay? They call themselves the Lone Star Republic when they do get their own independence. You have white here, red here. White, red. Why? Because they said... To the north of them, above them, are the whites. Below them, they thought Mexican people were, had a more of a reddish hue. So those are the red people. And they were the lone star in this whole area. And that's why their flag is what it is. It's all, you know, people like, are like, you ever think of like how these things happen? How they, where they, come? they don't just say, hey, oh, uh, my flag, I'd like uh, a little red, uh, maybe a little bit of blue. I like the color blue. Uh, no, there are like real things, real reasons for these sometimes. Yeah. Is that why they have they're on, so Texas, yeah, and, and it's so funny. It's like in this world of political correctness, right? I, I lived in Texas for a year. I went to school there for one year. If you mess with their flag, they're not going to take it like it's okay. In Houston, in Houston, you can walk around. It's legal to walk around with a gun holstered, like legit gun holstered. I saw it. And I was like, what the heck? As long as it's clipped and snapped and locked. It's like, what? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. True story. And True like, story. They do. They have, like, a pledge. They say, like, the American Pledge of Allegiance. And they like, the Texas Pledge of Allegiance. They do. Because for a short period of time, they were their own independent nation. Yeah. Texas is there. They are. They're a little bit. My, my time there, I thought that they were quite, quite different. Yeah. No, 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 no. Good question. It was all geographic. Whites up here, and right, Mexico's down here. So that was all. It was just. No, no, no. I don't. I don't think so. But I mean, everybody thought that they were better than other people at this time. Yeah, and it was really about your military. If your military proved you were better, you were better. That's how it worked. And so as the United States expands, they were like, "Well, we're obviously better because our military is beating everybody." Um, eighteen thirty-six, Texas declared their independence. They become for a little while. The Lone Star Republic. Their Declaration of Independence was very, very, very similar to ours. 
Uh, we have some principal characters. Sam Houston has a, a city named after him, a school. Uh, Steve Austin, same thing, has a city named after him, even though he's going to die pretty abruptly as this all happens. And then Mexico, they're going to be upset. Like, no, this isn't okay. You're not leaving. And so they attack. And you probably have heard about the Alamo. <coughs> the Alamo. So I don't, I've never been there. I've never seen it. But uh, from what I've heard, it's a small build, building. I Googled it. And this guy standing here posing for this picture, he's going to be in this presentation for many, many years. And I'm just going to call him Tony because I feel like he looks like a Tony, right? Hey, Tony! But anyway, there he is standing in front of the Alamo. What happens in the Alamo? The Mexico tries to take it. They, American and Texas forces, like kind of hunker down. Over 2,000 Mexicans die, but they do win back the area. But it's like, at what cost are they going to be able to keep on fighting this war or want to fight it? So even though the Alamo was a win for Mexico, in the long run, it was the beginning of a loss, if that makes any kind of sense. Kind of like Bunker Hill during the American Revolution. While the British win, the, the loss of life of them was so high, it was kind of like a, a sign of this isn't going to work out so well. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were, it was like, a, like I said, a mix of American and Texan, which eventually become American anyway. The Texas Rangers, these are people who were, you know, they had sworn that they were going to protect their republic and their pledge. Uh, today's just a baseball team. No big deal. There's their flag again. Okay, James K. Polk. So who is this guy? Love this man. Love him. Love him because I hate him. All right. He's nobody. He's nobody. Tried to get into the military. Didn't work out too well for him. Then he decides to get into politics. Does not come from a family with a lot of money. He goes to a dinner at Jackson's house, Jackson's last, night, uh, last year as president. And he goes up to Jackson and he says, President Jackson, why are you not annexing Texas? Texas was there. It was just no president wanted it. Andrew Jackson, after him is Van Buren. After him is William Henry Harrison. He dies quick. Then his vice president, four presidents. Nobody takes it. Why does nobody take it? Because they all said the same thing. Texas is in the South. They're going to want to have slaves. But the land there was not suitable for plantation and farming. So what kind of a country do we want to be if we allow for slaves when it doesn't seem like work that we rationalize as work for slaves would make any sense? They made their money off ranching, raising cattle, okay? So none of the presidents want to do it. So James K. Polk, he comes around and he says, hey, make me the president. I will take Texas and I will take us to the Pacific Ocean. I'll get us all the way to California. And he ends up winning. Now, why does President Polk, why, why does he come up with all these ideas? So while he's at that dinner, he meets this woman named Sarah. Okay. And he just thought that she was everything, right? That this is it. Falls in love with her immediately. Goes up to her, talks to her, and she's like, ha, 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 "No, thank you." She said she came from an extremely wealthy family that owned thousands of slaves, large cotton and tobacco plantations. And she says, "Look, I'm going to marry one of two men, either very, very, very wealthy, or a great conqueror." So he's like, well, I'm neither, but I have to marry you. And she's like, well, then I guess you could become the president of the United States. And he's like, well, that's what I'll do. And that's what he does. He becomes the president of the United States, which goes to show the power a woman can have over men. 
It's so true. You know what happened to me all this week? All week, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, my baby, I hear him, ah, ah, ah. wife, can you take him? I'm like, I'm on, I'm on vacation. Like, okay, I'll take him, <laughs> right? You know, it's just the way, it's the way that it goes. So she says, this is what I want. He goes to becomes the president. They get married. They get married. Then she says to him, okay, now you have to become a great conqueror. She has a mural painted right outside of their bedroom. Okay, you know what a mural is? Exactly, huge wall painting, probably the size of that wall, but a little bit higher, okay? And it's of Hernan Cortez. You know who Hernan Cortez was? The conquistador. Who did he defeat? The Aztecs. Oh! Yes! Yes, I guess. History buff. History buff. So he defeats the Aztecs, right? The Aztecs being in Mexico. So she says, you're going to be just like him. You're going to be a great conqueror. He's already three and a half years into his presidency. He promised he would only be president for four years. So how is he going to do this? He's going to have to start a war. How do we start a war? Through lies and deceit. And that, my friends, will bring us to tomorrow, the Mexican War. Okay? So that is uh, that will conclude uh, facial identification. Thank you very much. That will conclude uh, today's podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Yay!